Hi, everyone. I am Amy, and I am here to reflect on the readings today and also to prove Lenny wrong, because I do not think I'm going to make any more sense. Um, I, um, I volunteered last Sunday um, to preach today because these ideas of you know, taking up what it means, there's so many things in these, these, these readings that I was like, oh, there's lots of things I can talk about there. This is fine. Um, you know, we'll have a sermon, and it'll be great. Yeah. Um, and I wound up finding um, that there were too many things for me to talk about. And also, um, the scriptures were challenging me to think about a lot of things that I do not want to talk about in front of a room of this many people. So um, I have a, a sermon um, in part. And then um, I'm going to um, kind of try to, um, a lot of my ability to public speak, do any sort of public speaking is predicated on the fact that um, I'm generally allowed to have exactly what I want to say written down in front of me. Um, and as long as I don't you know, veer off of that, I sound really coherent. And um, I don't have a whole sermon here today. <laughs> so um, I'm going to just do my best, and um, it's going to turn into an object lesson pretty soon, so good things. Um, so, the Gospel readings for the Sundays in Lent start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, with his baptism by John, the Spirit descending, and the voice declaring, You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus withstands temptation in the wilderness. Jesus proclaims the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Then we skip a lot. We go from this, these stories of the first days of Jesus' public ministry to um, quite, a, quite a bit later, um, we breeze past the calling of disciples, the healing of bodies, the casting out of demons, we pass over some perplexing parables about God's kingdom. We pass over debates with authorities, thousands of people fed on seven loaves of bread, and even a little girl being raised from the dead. Although there's still more parables and stories of healing to come in Mark's gospel after what we read today, the time jumps, this time jump lands us in the sense at the beginning of the end, with Jesus' revelation that he would be rejected by the authorities, by authorities and killed. Today's reading kind of picks up in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples. Um, the first part, actually, Lenny, Lenny and Peter kindly referred to as well. Um, Jesus, the story begins, Jesus is walking um, with his disciples, and he asks his disciples who people say that Jesus is, and then he asks the disciples who they say Jesus is. Peter confesses that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. The text says that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, which seems sort of an implicit affirmation that Peter is correct, that Jesus does understand himself to be the Messiah. So that's where the reading um, what was read today begins. Jesus reveals that he'll suffer greatly, that he'll be rejected by religious authorities, be killed, and rise on the third day. Peter does not take this well. He starts to rebuke Jesus, 
And Jesus rebukes him right back, saying, get behind me, Satan. Which, you have to admit, seems like a pretty harsh way. I'm with Lenny on this one. It seems like a pretty harsh way to address someone who just confessed that he believed you to be the long-awaited king coming to save your people. This, that this mutual rebuke came so soon after Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah seems significant to me because it seems possible that Je Peter felt the need to rebuke Jesus because Jesus was describing things that could not happen to the Messiah. Rejected by religious authorities? No, I mean, Jesus had some disagreements with some of the religious authorities, but clearly the leaders would come around and see in Jesus what Peter sees. Being killed? Not possible. The Messiah would be victorious over occupying forces, forces and go on to reign as king. Rise again in three days, like rise from the dead? What does that even mean? Peter heard these predictions, not only as a friend who didn't want to think of his loved one suffering, but also as a follower who had put his trust in someone who believed that, that someone would lead them to liberation. I suspect that Jesus couldn't square these ideas, Jesus couldn't square this with the idea of Jesus suffering and dying. I wonder if this is what Jesus meant by you're setting your mind on not on divine things, but on human things. That Peter's expectations were based on what he understood to be possible. That, of course, they might face some setbacks and opposition, but Jesus would keep debating and healing and proclaiming the kingdom, and they would prevail. By predicting his execution, Jesus revealed that that, was not, that is not the road that lays ahead of them. Jesus goes on to declare to his disciples and the crowd what it means to follow him. He says, if any would want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who would want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will find it. Removed from the context of the whole story about Peter, predictions, um, this seems like these teaching on, teachings on the cost of being a disciple could be seen as sort of an abstract endorsement of a life of suffering. Being willing to give up comfort, safety, the things we desire, desire, and take up our metaphorical cross without complaint. It presents faith that is most purely expressed in persecution and martyrdom. But Jesus said this in a context where those who continued following him might soon be given their very own, very literal cross. They were approaching a time when the goal of staying alive and the intention of following Jesus wasn't compatible. Those who would be Jesus' disciples would soon need to choose between acting to save their own life or following Jesus and trusting that somehow God would give them life in abundance on the other side of suffering and death. Through the history of the church, there have been those who lived in times and places where following Jesus meant accepting suffering and death. We can read about them in Martyr's Mirror and books about the lives of the saints. We can learn their story. We can learn the stories of our siblings who put their lives on the line in movements for justice and liberation. But these saints are 
these saints are examples to us, not because they suffered as Jesus suffered, but because they trusted God enough to follow as Jesus led them, even though that meant risking their safety and even laying down their lives. Most people who seek to follow Jesus will never find themselves in circumstances where there is real danger of losing their life for the sake of the gospel. And I'm, by the way, I, I think I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but this idea that to truly follow Jesus means to accept suffering has manifested itself in many ways um, in the history of the church. Um, it can be seen in the, def the definition of denying oneself as giving up the things that one desires, the things that make one comfortable and safe, even the aspects of one's identity that don't, don't conform to others' image of what a Christian should be. It can be seen in the times when people are encouraged to suffer under unjust systems and in abusive relationships in imitation of how Christ accepted suffering. And as I reflected on this readings, I thought about um, you know, how other ways that this idea that to follow Christ is bearing one's cross, being, able, being willing to lay down one's life, and all of these difficult things, and how that plays out in my own life. And I got to thinking about how this glorification or this ideal of suffering can be seen in the ways that we seek to be perfect, um, in our failure to forgive ourselves and accept our limitations, just because we can imagine ways that we could have been better, worked harder, been more courageous, been better family members, better neighbors, more faithful followers of Jesus. There's this, and now is where, and I will be, this is where, where I, I prove my point. <laughs> it's hard for me to just stand up here and talk. I have run out of script at this point um, because I ran out of time. <laughs> we desire to be seen by others as people who have things together. We desire to seem like people who are working hard enough to follow Jesus and to improve in the way we need to, need to improve. And I wonder if this work toward self-improvement can become not a way that we do the hard thing to imitate Christ's suffering, but a way that we are working to save our own lives. That we expend energy to be, come, to make ourselves the people that we feel like we should be. That's nothing that has no relationship. 
I don't think, <laughs> with what this passage is asking. You know, this passage is talking about taking the suffering that comes with following Jesus. You know, to give up the self-protection, the control um, that you need to give up in order to follow where Jesus is telling us to go. But I don't see anything here that's saying that I need to prove myself to be someone who has given enough, who has sacrificed enough, who has laid down my life and put myself last where, everywhere that I can in order to be somebody who is sac who can who is doing something that approximates laying one, down one's life for the gospel. I'm just going to take a minute to collect my thoughts so I don't get off the rails too much here. Alongside this challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples to be willing to follow Jesus even to death. Jesus also says that those who are heavy laden should come to him. That his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. That in Jesus we'll find rest for our souls. And though we are called to live, li live life in the way that imitates Jesus, the work of transforming ourselves isn't ours. We are made alive in the Spirit of Christ, in the Spirit of God. And that spirit, the spirit works to transform us, our relationships, um, what we learn from one another, what we learn from those we serve alongside. All of those things play a part in, in making us into the people that God is calling us to be, that God means for us to become. And there's, and it might be <laughs> that how we give up, that what laying down our lives can look like is giving up on the life that we're trying to build for ourselves as somebody who who has it together, who is doing everything right, who is, you know, learning, who is becoming, you know, who is um, whatever. All of those things that are part of who we wish we were, who we want to see ourselves become. Um, you know, giving up the, the responsibility to make ourselves that 
and you know, follow where Jesus is leading us. And um, I think I am going to just kind of finish up here because I don't have, I'm not ready to tie everything up in a bow in a nice poetic ending. But, you know, this is the kind of the idea that I'm sort of, that's kind of forming in my head right now. And it might be something, you know, we can maybe think about it or talk about it a little more. But, you know, this idea that the work that we are doing right now in the season, you know, in our lives following Jesus is not about um, making ourselves into the people we want to be, but by letting go of letting go of the control of control, letting go of self-protection, letting go of striving to make ourselves who we think we should be, and opening ourselves to the transforming work that the Spirit is trying to do in us. So that's all. Thanks for listening.